You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Many, many years ago, uh, when I was in college, my wife and I were married right out of high school and went off to college, and our daughter was born real early during our time in college. I was working uh, full-time and a lot of overtime, and I was a full-time student. And so it was a time when uh, I didn't have a lot of spare time. And every moment, it seemed like, had to be accounted for in some way and used well. Uh, And so I multitasked a lot. There were a lot of times I was trying to figure out how to do multiple things at once to fit everything in. When my daughter was young, uh, as a toddler, I can remember many times that I was home and trying to study and kind of watching her while I was studying, sitting at the kitchen table studying. My daughter had this habit that she would when I was there, you know, every so often, like they do as toddlers, she'd turn to me and tell me something, want my attention, and I would try to keep studying while I would answer her to get both things done. She was wise enough, even as a toddler, to know I wasn't giving her full attention. So every so often, she would come over and she would crawl up into my lap, and she would put those chunky little toddler hands on each side of my face, and she would pull my face down to her and put her face right here, and she would tell me what she wanted to tell me, and then she would crawl back down and go right about her way. Uh, It was just, she just, even as a little toddler knew, if I want his full attention, I'm gonna have to turn his face towards me to get his full attention. When I think back to those days, there's a part of that that's sad to me. It's sad to me that, that my daughter and my family through the years after many times had to go to those extremes to get my full attention. That oftentimes I filled my life with so much, thinking I could always do more, that I wasn't owning the fact that all those yeses I were saying were saying some no's to some really important things. Even though they were good things, they were often secondary things, and I was sometimes saying no to first things. But it's also a memory that brings me some joy when I think back to it. It's a memory that brings me some joy because I think it was a real gift, even as a toddler, without understanding it, that my daughter gave to me. In those moments, she gave me the gift of turning my face in the midst of all that busyness and all that pressure, stopping me and turning my face towards the face of one that I really wanted to see. That if I was really stopped and thought, this is the face I want to look into. Because in that face, I see someone who loves me, who truly desires to be with me. And in that face, I see someone that I deeply want to love. Those aren't moments you want to miss, right? When I remember those moments of my daughter turning my face towards her, those are moments I go, man, I want more of those, not less of those, right? It's one of the things I love in Scripture is that our God again and again and again through Scripture and I think in our lives, reaches up and turns our face towards himself. 
all that stuff that we get lost in, all that stuff that we get caught up in that we think is so important, all that even darkness sometimes that seems to own our attention. God reaches up again and again throughout Scripture and he turns the face of his people back towards the one that we really need to see because in that one is everything we truly long for. I think there are two ways that God generally turns our faces back towards him. One way is he lets us a lot of times experience the darkness and the futility and the hopelessness of life that's apart from him. Sometimes he lets us just experience that darkness, that when we have life apart from God, it's not really the life we want. It may feel like it, we may get caught up in it, but it's not what you truly long for, and he'll let us experience and taste that. My wife and I moved here from southern Indiana. Southern Indiana is known for several things, but one of them is the limestone quarries all over southern. There's limestone buildings all over the United States built with Indiana limestone. But the other thing that comes with that limestone in southern Indiana are lots of little caves. Uh, so when I was a youth pastor there for several years, I uh, took lots of youth groups through these little caves. And uh, these are not the caves that tour guides take you through. These are the kind of caves that you, inside of a hill, crawl into some little hole and slither your way through and squeeze your way through with flashlights uh, and usually come out the other side covered in mud. Uh, those kind of caves. But one of the things you would almost always do, that all groups do when they go caving like that, is you get a group in there and you find a spot that's big enough where you can all kind of sit around and gather together and you agree to all be silent and you turn all your flashlights off, all right? And suddenly you realize how seldom you experience complete darkness. Because in that moment, it is a darkness you can feel in your bones. Uh, suddenly in that moment, of, even though these people are all around you, suddenly you feel a desperation to find some kind of light. Sometimes you're looking anywhere to see any reflection, anything that would give you some sense of light. Uh, because in that moment, you feel so alone. You feel so by yourself. And you really feel this sense of helplessness. Because if there's not light here, I got no clue how I'm getting back out of here. Suddenly those flashlights become really important, right? And you're wondering, did I bring extra batteries? Because now it's really, really important. I think God oftentimes takes darkness. And I think darkness is a good way to describe sometimes um, what we experience in a world that's saturated with sin. Darkness is a good way to experience this taste we have. And in God's grace, he's only given us a taste. This taste of life apart from God. Darkness. It is not what we want. When we really face it, it doesn't meet our needs. It makes us feel helpless. It makes us feel like we desire more that we just can't grab hold of. But I think that darkness is often fertile ground out of which God does grow something beautiful. It's that fertile ground sometimes of sorrow and hurt and helplessness out of which that God sometimes uses to turn our face, to, to make us look elsewhere. And then in his grace, in the midst of that, God again and again and again turns our face towards Jesus. He turns our face towards the one that John, the Apostle John, will later, later say is the light of the world. John will go on to say, in him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, 
and the darkness has not overcome it. Aren't you thankful for that? The darkness cannot overcome it. One of the places in Scripture where we see that, where God, in the midst of darkness, when it seems darkest, reaches down and turns the face of his people towards Jesus is in the book of Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah is writing in a time when Israel was in a very dark place. Uh, It was a time when they were in a darkness because the Assyrians were coming down upon them, about to destroy them. They were the world power of the time, and it was a scary time. Uh, They were right at their doorstep. But he also writes in a time when there was a lot of darkness that they had produced for themselves, that they had brought about in their own lives. Uh, In Isaiah, he describes some of these things. He says it was a land that was full of idols where people uh, bowed to the work of their hands. It was a time when people were looking for some way to create their own God, a God that they wanted instead of the real God. It was a place of conflict and oppression. It was a time when people were grabbing and taking from others to try and meet their needs. As the people choosing leaders for the shallowest of reasons, they wanted leaders that kind of looked like what they wanted. So they choose leaders just because they had a nice cloak, you know, just because they had nice stuff. That's the kind of leader we want because that's the stuff that matters to us most. It says they were a people consumed with partying anything that would satisfy their desire right now in the moment, that was enough for them. And they were a a group that was looking to spiritual mediums and to superstitions for guidance. And they looked to them because they wanted to predict the future. They wanted to know the future so that they could take control of it, so that they could figure out what's coming so that they could grab hold before it came and meet their own needs again. It was all driven in this, this belief somehow that My needs are best met if they're in my hands, if things are all in my hands. And then in Isaiah chapter 8, at the end of that chapter, he kind of sums it up. He says, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God. This, This darkness that they are pursuing and living in will leave them hungry, longing for more and says they will be enraged against God because he will not submit to their plans. They will be enraged against the king because he will not submit to their plans. And then he says, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. This following our own plans, trusting in ourselves, believing our wisdom is enough, always is gonna leave us wanting more, always. And then right in the midst of all this darkness, I mean, it's pretty depressing, those first eight chapters of Isaiah. And right in the midst of all this darkness, then you hear these words in chapter 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Then in verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God reaches his hands down in the midst of all that darkness, in the midst of looking at themselves and the world around them, and how they can manipulate it to meet their needs, and how they can somehow have the power to make their plans succeed. And in the deepest darkness, God reaches down and takes their face 
and turns them 700 years or more into the future and tells them, look there. There is your real hope. There is the light of the world. There is that light you long to see in the midst of this dark place. And now, live into that. Pursue that. And he tells us this child's no ordinary child. He tells us this child will be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. So over the next several weeks here, we're going to ask you to think about those names, those names of Jesus. Encourage over the Christmas season to just reflect upon them and think about them. Who is he? Who is this Jesus that we celebrate every Christmas? Uh, Sometimes we just go through the motions and we celebrate this child, but who is this child? That God sent a birth announcement over 700 years before he came because he wanted to direct his people's face towards Jesus. And he is continually turning our face back to Jesus. This is where life is to be found. This is the light of the world. It's going to be found in him. Turn your face back towards him. So we're going to start today by looking at Wonderful Counselor, that name that's given to Jesus. Uh, The word counselor there, they probably thought of it more when they talked about a counselor at that time, about the one who, like, were advisors to the king. They were the people you turned to to find wisdom. And so those advisors, but if you think about it, that is still kind of what we look for in a counselor, right? We look for someone who not only knows the truth, who has knowledge, but we look for someone who has the ability to apply that knowledge to life to help us understand what does that have to do with us and how we should live. That's wisdom. It's that applied knowledge. It's that knowledge that guides us and directs us. So so those counselors were advisors, and they would have thought of those advisors as people who had wisdom. But he, he precedes it with this word, wonderful. And that word wonderful might more literally be uh, interpreted a wonder. Isaiah is saying he is a wonder of a counselor. He's saying he is a counselor unlike any other counselor. He is the kind of counselor that will leave you in a state of awe, in a state of wonder. He's the counselor above all other counselors. The one who has wisdom in a way that we would experience no place else. And you see that in scripture pretty quickly about Jesus. When he was 12 years old and at the temple, Luke tells us, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Uh, Then when he returns home as a young man to his hometown in Nazareth, Matthew tells us, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in the synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get his wisdom in these mighty works? Paul later tells us in his letter to Colossae that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and power. Any wisdom you could possibly want, it resides in Jesus. It's there. In 1 Corinthians 1, Paul even refers to him as the wisdom of God. He is wisdom. He doesn't just possess wisdom. He is wisdom when we turn to him. So think with me. What do you want if you pursued a counselor? What would you look for in a counselor? I do this as a profession, so it's a little weird to ask this because I may be sending you all to somebody else instead of me. In fact, when I came here, I've told people this. One of the questions they asked when they were interviewing me was, or not question, but one of the statements made was, well, we're looking for someone that will bring a little more age and wisdom to the staff. And, and my response was, I have one of those completely covered, you know. <laughs> still letting them figure out which one. But what do you want when you seek out wisdom from a counselor? 
What are you looking for? Uh, and I think we're looking for someone who understands, right? Someone who does have knowledge. We want someone who truly does have an understanding of truth. But we also want someone who understands us, who knows us and what we're going through. If we're coming to them, we're coming to them because there's something that we're in need of. And we hope that they don't just speak truth, but they speak the truth that grows out of an understanding of us and our needs. We want that from them. We also want someone that we can trust, right? If we're going to share the most vulnerable parts of ourselves, we want to know we can trust them with those vulnerable parts. But we also want someone who isn't just going to sit with us and care about us and understand us. We ultimately want someone who's going to offer us something to lead us to a different place. We want someone who's going to walk with us through the hard, but ultimately is going to lead us through the hard to something better. Here in Hebrews 4, listen to how the author of Hebrews talks about Jesus, our wonder of a counselor. He says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He says, Jesus is our high priest. He is the one who bridges that gap between us and God. He is the one who can take us where we could never go on our own. He understands, it says, in every respect, every respect, no matter what you're going to, through, no matter what you think is unique to you, and I hear often from people, but you just don't understand how hard this is. You don't understand what I'm going through. And many times I don't. Many times as I talk with people, I truly don't know the kind of pain they're walking through. I've not experienced that. I truly don't fully understand. The author of Hebrews tells us Jesus always will. He has suffered betrayal from those closest to him. He has experienced unbelievable physical pain. He knows what it is to feel abandoned and alone. He knows what it is to pour his life into people, to pour it into people, and then see them walk a direction of foolishness, completely away from what he has taught them. He knows what it is to experience temptations, like greed and power and, and the temptations of physical comfort and pleasure. Uh, but scripture says he knows those things without sin, right? He is a counselor who's not going to be corrupted by his own sin. His wisdom isn't limited because of his own sin. His understanding of you and his care for you is not limited because of his own sin. He can go where no other counselor can go with you because his own sin isn't in the way, doesn't confuse it, doesn't mess it up because he's without. It tells us he sympathizes for you. He's not one who just understands you, but he's one who sympathizes. You know, sometimes people will understand you, know what you're going through, and they have that boot camp mentality, like, I went through it, now it's your turn. Now you're going to go through it. That's not our God. Jesus is one who sympathizes, he cares deeply, feels with us the hard things that we're walking through. And then in verse 16 of of Hebrews 4, it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because he is this kind of counselor, let us with confidence approach him. Let us, let us walk in there and knowing that he is the one that has the wisdom that we deeply long for, but also he's the one who wants us to come. He's a counselor who is always ready for us. He's a counselor who is always happy to see us, 
who is always thrilled that you took the time to turn towards him and wants to receive you in. Uh, what a wonder of a counselor he is, right? You never have to question that he is happy to give you the counsel that you need. So we can approach him knowing that there what we're going to find is something we didn't have to earn, we didn't have to be good enough for. When we approach him, we're going to find mercy and grace. We're going to find everything that we need to help us because it didn't have to grow out of us. It came from him. Now imagine that I told you that I can refer you to a counselor who has been through the very thing you're hurting over. A counselor who's completely trustworthy, one who's remarkably insightful and knows everything about people physically, spiritually, emotionally, and relationally. Imagine that I could refer you to a counselor who is always fully present with you, never distracted or uninterested. Imagine that this counselor already knows you and loves you enough to, to sacrifice his own life for you. Imagine that this counselor is truly the wisest person you'd ever meet. That this is a counselor who is always committed to your best. You know, we would, we would climb mountains, cross deserts. We would crawl across broken glass to get to a counselor like that. The cool thing is, this counselor tells us he actually seeks us out. Every time we turn towards him, he is there waiting for us. Waiting for us to be that light in our life that guides us out of the darkness to true life. What a remarkable thing that is. Doesn't it make you just want to jump up and go, hallelujah, what a counselor we have. So what's this all mean for us? I want to leave you with four points. Be many more, I'm going to leave you with four. Uh, first, we don't need to deny hard realities because we have this counselor. There is nothing Christian about this kind of Pollyanna view of life. You know, that everything's wonderful and rainbows and beauty and everything's good. There's nothing Christian about that. We don't have to deny hard realities because we have a wonder of a counselor who is with us, who wants to walk through life beside us, who wants to guide us and give us the strength we need to walk in it. You'll hear me say often as I'm here, it's one of my things I tell people all the time, that I love the Psalms. And you know, one of the reasons I love the Psalms is because I think they are, within Scripture, some of the most out loud together words you will find in the Bible. They are words that were meant to be the, the worship in the temple. They are words that were meant to be read in community and sung in community. They are out loud together words. Why those words? Why are those the words that we all are called to get together and say out loud together? Because I think we're to help each other face reality, hold on to reality, not kind of create a reality that fits our own plans and fits what we can do, handle on our own, but face true reality. Most common category of Psalms, Psalms of lament. There's nothing about the Psalms that tells us to deny hard realities. It tells us out loud together to face them, to talk about them, to share them with one another. But you know what else the Psalms do? Because that's not full reality, right? That it's just hard. That there is just darkness in this sin-saturated world. Reality is also the fact that God is present and God is active and God is here and he has not completely given this place over to Satan. And that God has come and God is coming again. That is also reality. And the Psalms point us to that reality too. 
out loud together, we are to say, in this world, we have a taste of God's absence, and it is hard. And in this world, how thankful we are that we have God's presence, that he is active, he is with us. He is the good counselor who wants to give us everything we need and point us towards the light that we most hope for. He's with us. We don't have to deny the hard realities because Jesus is enough. We can face them, and we can face them together. Secondly, we all need good counsel. Um, We're not meant to face the hard realities on our own. Uh, As I sit with people and talk with people going through hard times in their life, you know, I often feel like I don't have enough. I don't have the answers to solve this. I don't know how to make it all better. Um, But the thing I have to remind myself often of is, of course I don't. Of course I don't. All these hard realities aren't going away. Man, we're not meant to walk through them by ourselves. We're absolutely not meant to face these alone. God gave us one another, that we could turn to one another and seek good counsel and support that we need. You see that throughout the Proverbs, for instance. Look at Proverbs 15. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Um, In Proverbs 11, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in the abundance of counselors, there is safety. Proverbs 19, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. In Proverbs 1, let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. God wants us to be people who seek wisdom from him, but also from one another. He wants us to be people who who offer wisdom, who offer good counsel to each other. Now, if it's going to be good counsel, if you want to know how to find a good counselor, is that counselor a reflection of the ultimate counselor? The wonder of a counselor. Is he, does he or she counsel in a way that reflects something of that? Because if he's the ultimate counselor, the counselor above all counselors, then all our counsel ought to in some ways reflect him and ultimately ought to point back to him. He's the wonder of a counselor. And we all are called to be counselors, right? Actually, research would back this up. Many times the best counselors are those people that are your friends and family that you live with every day who know you best. Their counsel sometimes is more helpful in helping you walk through struggles than the therapist you would go to. Now, I think counselors can offer good help. Again, I do this. But we're not the only ones who counsel. We all are called to counsel all the time. And if we are going to be good counselors, we're going to be a reflection of the good counselor, the wonder of a counselor. God wants us to seek wisdom. He wants us to look to each other. He wants us to look beyond each other and look to him. But one thing I've found to be true when I look in myself and as I sit with others, there is something, isn't there, deep within us that ultimately I kind of believe I am the best source of wisdom for my life. There's something in me I ultimately believe that my plan is the best plan. And so often, even when I seek the counsel of others, I'm really seeking people to affirm the plan that I already have. And just tell me some ways to tweak it and make it work. Because there's something deep within me that thinks wisdom starts with me and ends with me. Isaiah will talk about that later in Isaiah 44. He gives this illustration, which is just one of my favorites in the book of Isaiah. He says he cuts down cedars, or he chooses a cypress, tree, or an oak, 
and lets it grow strong among the trees in the forest. He plants a cedar and the rain nourishes it, then it becomes fuel for a man. He takes a part of it and warms himself, he kindles a fire and bakes bread. Also he makes a god and worships it. He makes it an idol and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in the fire, over half he eats meat, he roasts it and satisfies. Also he warms himself and says, aha, I am warm, I have seen the fire. And the rest of it he makes into a god, his idol, and falls down to it and worships it. He prays to it and says, deliver me, for you are my god. I love the sarcasm that's dripping through that whole thing. Now think about this. You take a tree. You, you're the one who planted it. You wait for the rain to nourish it and for it to grow. You go out and you cut it down and cut it into pieces. And you take part of that wood that you cut down, that you planted, that you then cut down. You take part of that wood and you use it to cook your food. You take part of that wood and you use it to warm your house. And then you take part of that wood and use your tools and your hands to carve it into a shape that you want to be your God. And then you set it up in an altar and you bow down before it. And you now ask it to do what you can't do for yourself. Do you understand the stupidity of that? You control it at every stage. You have power over it at every stage. And we are so committed to be the master of our own lives that we will actually, when we face the reality that we need something beyond ourselves to make life work, we will create something with our own hands and set it up on our own altar, and then we will deceive ourselves into believing that that's not just us that that's something beyond us that's somehow going to do beyond what we can do. Do you see the foolishness of that? We are so deeply committed to depending upon ourselves first and foremost. And God reaches down and takes our face and turns us and says, here is a wonder of a counselor who is beyond you, who is more than you, who truly has a wisdom you can find nowhere within yourself. Here is a wonder of a counselor. The good news is, point number three, we're all granted direct access to Christ's counsel. We are actually invited to confidently approach him. He wants us to come. No matter what your shame, no matter what your hurt, no matter what kind of stupidity you feel you've done, no matter how much you feel unworthy, God doesn't tell you just to come slithering before him and seek his counsel. Jesus invites you to confidently come to that throne of grace because he can't wait to offer you mercy and grace. The mercy and grace you need to help you. This is a love that acts on your behalf, that actually wants to lift you out of those dark places and lift you up and send you someplace new. That's the kind of counselor we can all come to. Finally, um, no matter what you're going through, I think we can all be confident uh, that the darkness will not have the last word. Feels like it sometimes, doesn't it? And I talk to people who are in a place and, and I feel it with them sometimes. Like, how in the world are you going to survive this? How are you going to get to the other side of this? It does feel like you're sitting in that dark cave and the, and the darkness is just beginning to envelop you. That there is just no hope. I feel completely helpless. Man, I think God wants us to look up and just see that light. You say, but 
But that light feels far off. That light feels like it's, it's not going to right now solve everything I'm going through. And God wants to take our face and turn us back and see that light and tell us, you know, it is hard. He tells us in the 23rd Psalm, he walks through those dark valleys with us. Right now doesn't take us out of them, right? Doesn't just remove us from those dark valleys. But he tells us, you are not alone in them. This light is with you. The one who brings life is with you. God is with us. He is coming again. You're not in this by yourself. And he is there protecting you and guiding you and protecting you from those things that you can't do on your own, helping you to do more than you could ever do by yourself. He truly is there helping you. It may not seem like it because I just want it to end now. But God tells us, look at that light. I'm with you. I am taking you someplace. The darkness will not win. It feels like it. The darkness will not win. The light is already won, right? We just are walking towards it until that day when we can experience and know it completely and in full. That day when Christ comes again and the darkness is completely wiped out and destroyed. That day is coming. So, this week, I want to encourage you to think about our wonderful counselor. You know, Christmas comes with a lot of joy and a lot of beauty and a lot of really good things. Uh, My wife would be surprised to hear that. I just love Christmas. She'd be surprised because I don't like decorating. I don't like cooking the Christmas cookies. I don't really like shopping. I'm just lazy about Christmas. I want someone else to do all those things. But I love once it's all done, you know, because Christmas is just a time that's just about joy and about beauty and about about generosity, and I love all those reminders of God's goodness. And I love the fact that we're invited into them. It's, a, it's part of the beauty of Christmas. But I also know that Christmas is a time that in a lot of people stir sorrow, reminds them sometimes of things that are not as they should be. It's a time that we, we are sometimes really face-to-face with the fact that life is hard, that against the backdrop of that beauty, sometimes the darkness seems to stand out, Right? Um, so I want you to remember in those times that when you have those moments, you don't have to deny them, push them down, run from them. I want you to remember in those times, God calls us to not deny them, but to look for a good counselor, to look for the wisdom to keep walking through them and persevere, to look to one another, to seek that out from one another, and to be that for one another in those times, but also to look beyond one another, to point each other to the wonder of a counselor. He so wants to take those hard, dark places and against that backdrop, help us see the beauty of the light. When you see Christmas decorations, and one of the best Christmas decorations, right, are the ones that stand out in the dark, the lights. Uh, Don't you love, we drove through Gravasi the other day, you know, once Christmas lights are on and out, and it was late at night and dark. Boy, they are so much more beautiful in the dark, right? Against the dark background, the light so stands out. So this Christmas, for some of you, there will be times it will be dark. There will be times it will be hard. You'll face hard realities. And I would say, let those be the times that you let God reach down, take hold of your face, and turn you towards the light, and choose to reflect on our wonderful counselor, the one who truly is there. He has come. He is coming again. So I'm going to end, instead of a prayer, I'm going to end with a benediction for Christmas. 
Now this is written based on Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. So receive these words as a closing prayer. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in deepest night are lit up with a brilliant sight. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The spread of his influence and of his peace will never end. Therefore, go out into the world with great joy in the grace of Bethlehem's matchless child, the love of God who never ceases to amaze and the fellowship of the Spirit who never wearies will be with you this day and evermore. And we all said, thanks be to God, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at ncchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces making much of Jesus every day to everyone.